It's, yeah, I really had these fantasies. I was going to teach the week I came back, and I did, but because I couldn't, this shear is, needs so much preparation that I just couldn't pull it off. So, okay. So we talked about Vayomer Hashem El Moshe Daber El Bnei Yisrael. Well, no, we got, um, did we say Daber El Bnei Yisrael? I don't even think we got to that, right? Daber El Bnei Yisrael. So that's what we're up to. Speak to the Jewish people. And here we have what we didn't have in the previous Pasuk, which is Lashon of Dibor. Previously it was a Lashon of Amira. Daber El Bnei Yisrael ve'omarta alehem. Ve'omarta alehem. Speak to the Jewish to Israel and say to them. So there you have the more classic, like as what would have paralleled Vayidaber Hashem Amoshele Mor, so to speak, with the Dibor and then the Amira. Here it's Daber El Bnei Yisrael ve'omarta And we have a principle, Hadibor Hu, he, Hadibor Hu, al-Klal HaMitzvah, here, when it says, speak to the Jewish people and say to them, so speaking to the Jewish people, that's giving them the mitzvah. Is the details. He's applying here um, an overall principle. Speak to them and tell them the details, which is generally speaking actually a very good way to teach. First give the klal, then give the details. Because although it can be more intellectually impressive if you start with all the little things and then show how they join into one beautiful big hole <clears throat> and it makes it more thrilling for the person following along, it also means that they don't have a map of where they're going, right? Which is sort of like we get you back to the beginning of the davening shear, you know, where are we and where are we going? <laughs> like, so if you know where you are and you know where you're going and then you start filling in the details as you go along, it's masudar in your mind, you understand what it is, wherever you happen to be, the, the details aren't as overwhelming mm -hmm. because you understand how they fit into a pattern and they form part of the whole of how you're going to achieve whatever the goal is of the mitzvah, which I guess for Moshe Rabbeinu you could certainly learn. Although in this case with tzitzis, you also have indications directly in the pasuk of the purpose of the mitzvah. Davar Bnei Yisrael ve'omartalehem ve'asulahem tzitzis. Well, I'll read the whole pasuk, but we're not going to get through the whole pasuk. It's a dense one. Ve'asulahem tzitzis. Ve'asu, and they'll make lahem for them tzitzis. We mentioned this before in the way of reading it, that if you explain it to them and give them all the details, then v'asu lahem tzitzis. Their reaction will be that they will make tzitzis, right? The v'asu was a description, not a commandment. V'asu lahem tzitzis, and those are the words we'll focus on today, al kanfei vigdehem, on the wings, on the corners of their garments, Lidorosam, for their generations. Venosnu al tzitzis hakanaf, and they shall place on the tzitzis, which are the strings, right? The, the tzitz is that which blossoms out like a tree, that which sprouts. Nosnu al tzitzis hakanaf, put on that tzitzis that sprouts off of the corner wing. Psil techeles, a string of blue. So I'm just going to point out, without going into too much depth on every single one of these, that there is a distinction being made in the giving of the mitzvah 
between the mitzvah to put strings on the corners of the garment and the mitzvah to put techeles on the strings which are on the corner of the garment mm-hmm. in the bottom of the seat. They are, they are separate parts, mm-hmm. which by itself is part of the reason why even if you don't have techeles, you can still put tzitzis on your garment because they're two separate pieces. Okay. What I want to do here is focus on this phrase, va'asulahem tzitzis. Make for them tzitzis. I'm going to do it, um, I'm going to use as the basic platform an essay from Rav Moshe Eisman. I'll tell you now, and I know sometimes when we talk these things through in share, then they become clearer as we go. I did work quite hard charting out what he said, you know, um, and even so, I still have one or two questions on what he's saying, which I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. It would be very interesting to ask him. It's possible it will become clearer, but there's a few reasons I want to do Number one is we're on the words Rasulahem Tzitzis, which ultimately ends up being sort of the culmination of this essay. So that's what we're up to. It also builds on what we've been talking about coming into and out of Purim, which is interesting, and maybe not entirely surprising since Parsha Tzitzis is about Itzias Mitzrayim, is a Zechel Itzias Mitzrayim, so it's very fortunate for us that this comes out now when we're heading into Nissan. But it certainly is a reason also. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? Some good news. Oh, yay. I'm, I'm in cheer. I'll call you back. We could wait. This sounds really good. Yes. <laughs> I have to pause, and you can tell us. For an interview. As far as I can tell. Okay. Really hard to go back to what we're doing. That's that's really thrilling. I want to think about how exciting that is. (laughs) Okay. I've been thinking about it for months. (laughs) I'm sure you have, but but even all the more so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All the more so. We can only taste it. That'll be the Pesach year we're coming up on. Okay. But still looking back at building from Purim before we get all the way to Pesach. Um, <coughs> is this question of the asulahem tzitzis. Make them tzitzis. They'll make for themselves tzitzis. How come not just make tzitzis, asu tzitzis? Why asulahem tzitzis? Why are they making for themselves tzitzis? This is so the wrong shear for someone who's just had really exciting news. <laughs> you know, it's, it's perfect because, you know, mm, no, he, it's walk, he walked into this interview with the yeah. sisters hanging out. And this was like, Even do better. I do this or not? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. 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 What a, That's beautiful. Oh, so where am I going to? I'm going to find something I wasn't going to share. Let me see if I can put my hands on it. I'm running to grab Rafael Kanyevsky. You can see what he says about that. Oh. Um, is it? No, 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 it's not Rafael Kanyevsky. It's I just saw it this morning, and I wasn't going to say it really at all, probably, because I didn't think, you know, since we ourselves aren't wearing tzitzis, this wasn't the main thing that we needed to talk about. He says, what I'm going to do is not quote the way they quote him, 
because it's it happens to be said, which is not unusual in Hebrew, it's said like from the negative aspect, but to turn it around. He says, people have this issue whether to wear the tzitzis inside their pants or not. But the purpose of the tzitzis is that you look at them and you remember the mitzvos. So when a person leaves his tzitzis out where he can see them, which doesn't always have to mean hanging, right? Like there are people who wear their tzitzis out and then it's tucked in. So you see the knots and strings, but they're not actually hanging. There's, there's a lot of different ways people do it. He actually says enough that a person, if they felt that they were amongst non-Jews and it was dangerous in some way, they could put the tzitzis into the corner, which is an interesting, like, I'm not, you know, okay. He says, leaving them out, which is the urisa moso, so that you will see them, is a respect for the mitzvahs of God. Because since what you, what you think of when you see the strings is Hashem's mitzvahs and the kabbalah so mitzvahs and the excitement to do mitzvahs, since that's what it represents, hiding it away is like being ashamed of doing the mitzvahs, not specifically only of tzitzahs themselves. That's right. He, he ends up saying afterward, if a person feels like he's among the non-Jews, maybe there's a way he... I don't even understand what he means exactly about sticking it within the kanaf, because the usually kanaf. the kanaf has a pocket, right, yeah. and you could actually put it in there, but then I'm not sure what he means about that, that you would see it. At least not the way we dress, where it's underneath the shirt. <laughs> right? Maybe if it's on top of your shirt. So I'm not entirely certain what he had in mind over there, but that idea that like a person you know, has... They want it, the way he puts it, Someday they're going to face God. And we'll, someday we're going to face God. And we're going to be able, to, you know, to be able to say, yeah, like it was important to me to be able to see a reminder of mitzvos, no matter where I went. That's like a huge, huge thing. It's not just like any other mitzvah, like saying, do I have my kippah on? Do I not have my kippah on? Am I going to wear clothing that identifies me as a Jew? Am I not? Which is, these are all important things. But the tzitzis themselves, because they themselves represent awareness of all the mitzvos, is, my, is the awareness something that I want to hide from myself or something I want to recall to myself, right? So he says, this is like, but I wasn't necessarily going to say that since, you know, those of us sitting around this table are mostly not conflicted about that issue. We could say whatever we want to be idealistic about wearing our tzitzis out, but since we don't live it, we really have no idea. <laughs> and it's unfair, you know, so I really wasn't planning to go there at all. Okay. The asulahem tzitzis. The tzitzis is being made for them. Okay. So here's, here's the starting point in the questions that Rav Eisman brings. One question is, and you'll hear it's, the same question. When is it a mitzvah to wear tzitzis? In the day and not in the night. And yet we say the third paragraph of Shema about tzitzis at night. When is it a mitzvah to talk about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, to remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? By day or by night? You have to rack your brains a little bit. It's been 11 months. Yeah, there's a whole question. Well, but there's a whole question in the Haggadah. Do you say, that, do you say it by day or by night? And yet we do say Vayomer Hashem El Moshe which is, okay, now there's also a question in the Rambam. The question is, 
What is the reason that we read the third parsha in Shema? Is it because it talks about tzitzis, or is it because it talks about Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Now, it's interesting because with either one of those, whatever your answer is, you still have the question about whether you say it at night. So we see that there's some kind of common process going on about the Zecher Yitzhak Mitzrayim and the wearing of the tzitzis. The zechira, uzechartem also. You will remember them of the tzitzis, which is not talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. The remembering them of the tzitzis is that you'll remember all the mitzvahs of Hashem. And the, the saying of the Zechariah Yitzhak Mitzrayim is to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. So there's some kind of interplay. There's obviously some overlap. <laughs> there's a perfect overlap because they overlap. That's what Vayomer is. There's an overlap of Yitzhak Mitzrayim and tzitzis. And we find that the question about it is also overlapping. Is it by night? Is it not by night? Okay. So the Rambam says that hey. Good morning, Mater. Hi. You made it. Thank Good you, Martha. Hello. I won't say on tape what had us laughing yesterday. Okay. We read the third paragraph of Shema because just like the other two paragraphs of Shema, it speaks of remembering all the mitzvos. So it is the mitzvah of tzitzis that makes Vayomer relevant as part of Kriya Shema. This is the Rambam. The Rambam also says separately, we do recite this third paragraph at night because it is zikaron, it is a zecher liyetzias mitzrayim, which is obligatory by day and by night. Now those two statements, which are not in association with each other, at, at the surface level appear to contradict one another. Because if the Rambam is saying that vayomer Hashem al more belongs in Kriya Shema only because of yetzias mitzrayim, then how can you say, then, then how do you reconcile that with the fact that he said that the reason that Vayomer Hashem Mosheli Mor is in Kriya Shema at all is because of the tzitzis? It's, it's really the same question that we have independently on tzitzis and Yitzhiya Mitzrayim now merged together as to, well, which one is the reason over here for Vayomer? Okay. So this is the approach that he takes to answering that question. This should sound familiar because at this point in the Seder, most of us aren't sleeping yet. This is a Mishnah in Brachos. Mazkirin Yitzias Mitzrayim Balelos. We mention Yitzias Mitzrayim in the nights. Amar Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria. Rabbi Elazar ben Azaria said, Hareani Kiven Shivim Shana. I am like a 70 year old. Now, we know from other sources he was very young, maybe like about 18 years old. So, if he's like a 70-year-old, is he stronger or weaker than his actual age? Weaker. No matter how strong a 70-year-old is, that same person when he was 18 was, was almost certainly stronger. I mean, there could be some strange exceptions, you know, people who had very bad health when they were young, but generally speaking. Here I am, like a 70-year-old, and I didn't have the merit, that, that people that you would say Yitzhiya Mitzrayim at night, meaning I couldn't, um, 
with a lot of breath. Here, one second. Thank you. Okay. He said, Lo zachisi shateomer yitzias mitzrayim balelos. Which, um, oh, great, thank you. <laughs> he said, I was never able to have the merit of convincing people that they should talk about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim at night. Ad derasha benzoma. Until benzoma brought a drasha that was a proof to what I had been saying all along. Um, he brought a proof from the Torah itself. In other words, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah had a concept or had a, an opinion, a shita, that you should mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim at night but he was not able to convince other people of it. Of the Chachamim in particular, not just any other people, right? Shinamar. So what was Benzoma's proof? In order that you shall remember the day that you left Egypt, all the days of your life. If the Torah just said, so... Those words tell you the days of your life. That's the days. But kol yemechayecha halelos. Kol yemechayecha. If the words yemechayecha already tell me that you should mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in the daytime. So what did the word all of the days of your life add? It added also the nights. The Chachamim Omrim, but the Chachamim said, you don't have to tiptoe. It's been a lively shear, Basi. <laughs> The Chachamim Omrim, the Chachamim said, Yemei Chayecha HaOlam Hazeh. The days of your life, that teaches you about Olam Hazeh. Basi, you could take this back here. Kol Yemei Chayecha, all the days of your life, Lehavi Limos HaMashiach, to bring you to the days of Mashiach. That's what the all adds. Okay, so this is one of those things where it's familiar enough that when we're younger or starting out with the satyrs, um, we're just happy that the words aren't very hard. I think you understand it. Right. And then by the time we would start to think, what is this really telling me? And what is the difference of opinion here at all? We're already used to it. And it's still early in the Seder, and people are saying, let's move along to make sure that we'll get to the Afikoman in time. You know, like, <laughs> this also, like, sometimes happens. Wait for the drushes till later on, and this is just the beginning. Okay. So here are the questions that Rabbi Eisman speaks out. Why, just in this particular context, do Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria stress his weakness? What bearing does it have on the issue at hand? And you know, that is a really good question, right? Just like, I, you just like want to savor that question for a minute? Because when you start learning about the Haggadah, the first thing they do is tell you about this amazing story about he was young and he was put into this position of authority rather abruptly and his hair got grayer so that he would have the respect. And you forget to go back and say, now why was that here? <laughs> this is the introduction to telling you about my shita. I have this approach that you should mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim by night. Here I am. I'm like a 70-year-old. So I say, say Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim by night. And you say, sorry, like I missed, I missed the link. <laughs> that introduced it somehow. What's the connection? Oh, yeah. Okay. But these are the ones you miss a lot when you already are accustomed. 
when you've gotten used to words so much, these are the types of things which, if you aren't used to it, if it's the first time you've ever seen it, it would, um, it would really jump out. It would be like, I am like a 70-year-old and I never was able to say. Now, if, you, if he had said he was a 70-year-old and if he had been 70 years old, then we might have said that's because his entire long life he had been trying to convince people <laughs> that you should say it's Yisma Sarim by night. But that's not the point over here. The point is he isn't that old, so it hasn't been that long. How long could he have been at this if he was 18? Okay. 16 years, 17 years he's been trying to convince people. I don't know. Like, how long could it be? Second point that's brought out here, which I hope I'll remember to come back to because I know that I didn't make it down into this chart, is the difference between the terminology. Meaning, his, his argument, let's say, is balelos. That's what's included. Chachamim say no. What, what, he says what's included in kol is the lelos. Chachamim say what's included in kol is olam haba. But there's a difference. He says, yemei chayecha hayamim kol yemei chayecha halelos. Chachamim said, yemei chayecha olam hazeh, kol yemei chayecha lehavi limos ha-mashiach, to bring to the days of Mashiach. Now I'll tell you that as far as I can tell, the answer that he gives to this seems to be exactly a flip of some of the other conclusions he comes to. And so I'm not sure if that means that these are two different opinions that correspond or if I've missed something completely in his reasoning. So that's why I told you, like, I charted it, I plotted it, I tried to make sure, you know, and I believe I do follow the line of argument, but the answer on that exact question, it's not clear to me how it makes exactly the point that it seemed like he took from it. Furthermore, and I'm, um, well, let me take a look here. I did print out. Okay. He, he makes an assumption and I'm not, I, I have ideas about why he makes this assumption, but I'm not sure, so I won't speculate because I could be wrong. Like I said, I missed something along the way here, so I don't want to speculate about what he meant. Um, he says these seem to be polar opposite opinions. Now, why, why should they be opposites? Because one is night and one is the messianic age, which is kind of, I would say like when we say, you know, night and day, like we would say like this time is the night time and the messianic age is the daytime so they're including they're saying like now it's night and they're including the day and what he's saying is kind of you're including the night so it seems like opposite approaches in terms of the results they get and he says from this and this is where i don't i can't speculate if zahiras yitzias misraim is to be said at night as in accordance with revelazar ben azariah then that would be discontinued when mashiach comes you could speculate for yourselves why that would seem logical, but I don't want to say it because I don't know. I, I, there's something I missed. Okay. Okay, so what is, what is so important about this? And what is so important about it that it distressed Rabbi Elizabeth Nazar? You hear in this statement that he is some, in some way, now I don't, I'm not like into like, oh, we're going to start attributing like all the feelings, you know, but like the phrasing over here is lo zachisi shetzayamer. Like something was missing for him in, in the inability to argue this point sufficiently that was relieved when Benzoma came with his drasha. Mm -hmm. Again, that's not a typical thing to share with us about a machlokas. I'm sure that anyone who has a strong feeling of what is the truth, and they are quite sure it fits in with everything else that they know, but they don't have a proof on it, is distressed 
that they weren't able to convince other people to see that that's true, even if they didn't have a direct proof for it. But you don't have to say that. <laughs> that's not really relevant to whether it's true or not, how you felt about whether people accepted it or not. So what that tells us is that there's something very, very important over here that he's trying to get across, that he couldn't get across until Benzoma came with his drasha. All right. Amar Rabbi Abba. This is a Gemara in Brachos. Davtes Amar Amar Rabbi Abba. Hakol Modim. Everybody agrees. It's funny, it's Hakol Modim, and the whole argument here is about the word kol. Okay. Kishenigalu Yisrael Mimitzrayim. Here's another one of these, like, I think this question came up last year, but I don't remember that we resolved it. One of these questions that once somebody brings it up in Haggadah, everyone agrees. Kishenigalu Yisrael Mimitzrayim. When the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt, lo nigalu elaba erev. They were redeemed in the night. We did talk about this last year, didn't we? Seems to me we've had a discussion about this. They were redeemed at night. Shenemar, as the verse says in Tvarim Tezayin, Hotziacha Hashem Lokecha Mimitzrayim Laila. God took you out of Egypt from Mitzrayim at night. I mean, that's, you know, there's not a lot of inference required. Ukshayatsu. <laughs> Ukshayatsu. And when they went out, Loyatsu Elabayom. They left by day. Shenemar, as the verse says in Pamid Barlamit Gimel, Mimocharas HaPesach. The morning after the Karbon Pesach, Yatsu B'nai Yisrael B'yad Ramah, the Jewish people went out with a, an upraised hand. Well, so what, what, like when are we redeemed? Were we redeemed in the night or were we redeemed in the day? You hear already the echoes of this question all along, right? Are we remembering Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim by night? Are we remembering it by day? And what are the implications of that? It's like the door was unlocked at night, but we walked through it in the day. Yeah, so when are you redeemed then? Right? Right, when the Yeshua came. Yeah. And which one is more important? Right. Which one, let's say, that you need them both. Which one is more significant? At which point did we feel free from Shibud Mitzrayim? Was it when we were redeemed in the night? Or was it when we were left in the day? Okay. So here's how he approaches it. In practical terms, the high point would have been reached in the morning when the Israelites finally turned their backs upon the hated land and never have to go back again and see that place. But practical considerations are not always the best criteria by which judgment should be made. Once we really begin to think about it, we may find that the night's freedom might be just the more significant. Let us illustrate this by a metaphor. Now, he, he actually makes a jump here. Like, I think you could have spent more time thinking about which one makes you feel the most free. He's actually, within this metaphor, he's actually bringing in two ideas, which we may have to tease apart to fuse them back together. The metaphor is Daniel, who just passed away last week on Purim, right? I mean, not on Purim, necessarily, but during the events of Purim. I guess it was in Nissan that <laughs> he passed away. Daniel remaining unscathed in the lion's den because the fierce and famished animals are simply unable, unallowed to touch him, is more truly free than if he had been snatched out of the den and placed beyond their grinding, tearing teeth. He's more free 
when he's in the middle of the attack and yet being saved than he would be if he just wasn't in there at all. I mean, this is whole, it's Purim playing with Pesach. It's really That's right. It's Purim, Pesach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yes. It is the, the transition the from Purim to Pesach. I'll make a little note. Maybe we'll come to it. I have been developing some ideas also about Adar and Nisan. Right. Um, in particular, with relation to the way that that the the Medrash talks about um, Haman choosing Purim. Mm -hmm. I'll make a note. Choosing Purim. Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Nashlim. Shnosav. Shaltzavikim. Okay. All right. So to be in Egypt, untouched and untouchable, is at least at some level a truer freedom than the freedom they have the next day when they weren't even in Egypt. It's an inner freedom. It's a, it's a nested inner freedom, right? Because it's inner within themselves, even though it's not visible on the outside. And it's also themselves as the inner within the environment of the outside. So it's, it's like nested right. freedom within freedom. Right. Okay. He calls that, he says, that is the freedom of the night. There's a kind of freedom that we could think of as the freedom of the night which is not the title of a song in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> All right. So now the next step is exploring what are the implications of the freedom of the night and how will that then be expressed by the difference of opinion between Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah and the Chachamim? How is that really part of what's being told to us? I just want to stop and think for one minute because it could be we should talk more about that freedom of the night here. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to now put a pause on this essay from Rav Eisman because I want to bring in a different idea. It's very late, but we started very late. Is anybody in a hurry? <laughs> you could say yes, <laughs> even if everyone says no. Okay, so this is a, an idea on Hester Panim, right? As you say, this is really freedom of the night is is almost a Purim, right? Before before it's the final half, aspect, um, it's the early half of of Pesach rather than the later half of Pesach. All right. Here's my audio visual aid. It's not very sophisticated, <laughs> but what it is is a picture of one of those barriers they put at parking lots. Okay. So let's say somebody is trapped behind the barrier. And they pick up the phone, they take their cell phone out of their pocket, and there they are stuck behind this barrier. And they call me up, and my phone rings. And I hear, Morisara, I'm behind the barrier. I can't get out. I've fallen, and I can't get up. What is the best way for me to answer them? OK, so I have a few options. Option number one is, you know, like I could, I could see, right? Because for those who are not actually here and didn't see the picture, those parking lot barriers are just like a single fence of wood that goes across like 90% of the path. So I look at this and I say, you could go under, you could go over, you could go around. But instead of saying that, I just like, yeah, whatever. I reach out my hand 
and I can pull them underneath and plunk, and now they're through. That's option one. Option two is I could think, you know, if I pull, if I pull him out by just reaching in and pulling him out, then he's saved from his problem, and that's chesed. I have done a tremendous chesed. And from his point of view, feeling stuck, when someone reaches in and pulls you out from your stuck place, that is experienced as tremendous chesed. However, there's a way I could do an even greater chesed. And the greater chesed would be not to reach over the barrier or under the barrier and pull him through. <clears throat> it would be, or even better, push the button so the thing opens up and now he just comes through. I think that's probably a more true mashal over here, okay? <laughs> Maybe I have the remote in my pocket or there's one of those buttons. I have the key, you turn it, the barrier goes up. Wow, my barrier's gone and I'm free. That's awesome. But there's another possibility, which is I could say, I could start describing to them what the situation is and how to get out of it. I can say, you know, you can't tell from where you are. But in fact, if you drop down low, you can come under the barrier. If you take a flying leap, you could get over the barrier. Or you could walk around by going to the side. Now, if I've done that, what I've done is given this person a tool. They can now come through the barrier. They can, they can take the tool, come through the barrier. And not only that, they have that tool in the future. The next time they get to a barrier, they can think about, oh, I could go under, I could go over, I could go around. If I do that, then the energy with which they come through is going to be on their own two feet. Have I done this person a chesed? I've done them a chesed. I have, they were stuck by the barrier, and I gave them what they needed to get through it. I didn't push the button. I gave them a tool. Not only that, I've really done a bigger chesed, because now they've got a tool that they can carry with them and use again in another situation. That's a bigger chesed than saving them once. How does the person who was trapped experience this salvation? They experience it as less of a chesed. They experience that as a contraction of chesed because they were in trouble and they cried out. And rather than, oh, their problem just went away, what happened was now they have to exert effort to get themselves out of it. But they're still very grateful. Because nonetheless, I gave them what they needed. They, they didn't know how to do that, and now they know how to do it. OK, so yeah, puzzle over that and puzzle over that. But, but there's actually really a third level of how I could help this person who's stuck at the barrier, which is I could say I could not hand them the tool, and I could not open the barrier. I could say, what have you tried so far? Now, what have I done? I have suggested to them that there is some kind of solution. I have prodded them to start looking for a solution, not just wait there. And when they do find the way, they say, well, I, I tried walking, and I've tried three or four or 10 times, and I keep getting stopped. And I say, oh, and which way have you been walking? Well, I keep walking forward. Oh, what are you, what are you gonna try next, right? So all I've done is suggest that they, there could be other options. 
say, well, I guess I could try walking a different way. And they try walking backwards, and they're getting farther away from their goal, you know. <laughs> but then they try walking sideways, and all of a sudden they found a different way through. Okay, now what have I given them there? I haven't just given them a tool. I've given them, I, I've given them a process. That's where I was going. That's also true. It's a double-edged sword. I've given them a process. I've given them a way to think about how to find a tool, which means that the next time they hit not only an obstacle, but any other kind of problem. See, if it was just that they might hit other obstacles of the same type, the tool is enough. Because you just use your tool and you go through, you know? But if it's more a question of process, now they, they can make their own tools. Now this person has the ability to make their own tools. They have changed. The way they think has changed. And they are more empowered. Now, really, that level includes the first two levels. Did I get them out of their crisis? Yes. Did I give them a tool? Yeah, I did. I could see how they needed to get out, and I knew what the tool was. But the way I gave it to them from their point of view is that I didn't give them a tool. They see less of my chesed because now they've had to figure it out and implement it on their own. So the chesed appears the most hidden when it is the greatest. That is the Hester Panim of Purim. The chesed is the greatest when it's the most hidden. This is the freedom of the night that I believe he's referring to. But as you said, there is an issue. The, yeah, the risk is now they have self-confidence, which makes them stronger, them. but they think it's from them because yes. it's most hidden that I have done anything to help. Yes. Exactly. That is, that is the double-edged sword. Right. Okay. It's a technique every parent knows when this is, by the way, I believe, comparable to Rabbi Tatz's process that he, de I mean, it's not his process, he describes that we tend to find in life that at the beginning things are easier, and then they get much, much harder, and then they slowly get easier again, and that that comes from at the beginning is there's a chesed, there's the inspiration, and at the second level, you know, like the baby learning to walk, so the parent is carrying them or putting them in one of those little um, walkers, you know, but then you take them out and you start letting them try and walk on their own and they just keep falling down. And then gradually they build up the strength and they get better and better at it. They may not get the ease of racing around the house for years after that, but it's their own. It's because they're stronger now, right? So I think, I think that corresponds very much to that process, which means that the chesed in the Yeshua of the hidden Yeshua of Purim is deeper, but less exciting, but more meaningful. <laughs> it's all of those. And it comes at the end. I mean, Pesach comes first to kind of, as in our infancy, and Purim comes at the end. Comes at the end, yeah. It go, well, they both go around. It, yes, we no, keep cycling I, around. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I mean, that's, we, we might get to it today, we might get to a different day, right, this idea that, um, which comes first, Pesach or Purim, is not even perfectly clear. Right. In the, in the Megillah, it's like a little bit funny. The whole Yeshua actually happened in Nisan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? But we celebrate Purim on Adar. Like, it's, okay. But the Megillah is also written in a way that hides Hashem's hand and yet reveals it. Right? Because you have to 
It's a part of our job is the gratitude to Hashem, is recognizing, peeling away from our side and not getting caught in that risk where Hashem has done the greater chesed for us and we've had the chance to grow and then we, we think that's us and where was he when we needed him? But that's what we needed for you know, the, the, the current gallus is to have this internal process to develop the tools so that we can deal with now. It seems to be the general avoda of the night. It seems to be the general avoda of the night. Okay, so now I'm going to come back to what he talks about, about the nighttime. Sorry. Before it, before it is. Before it is nighttime. Okay. So, he divides this into two parts, which he does not label, but I will. Just making that clear up front. The labels are mine. He says, there is doing and there is being. There are the facts on the ground, and there is a numinous and luminous quality which defies quantification, but which defines our essence. Okay, so now I'm going to label. There is doing, that's the Asiyas Mitzvos. This is our deeds. There is being, that's Neshama Shenasata Bitohorahi. Okay, and this is, this is a transition in many ways. We've talked about the importance of distinguishing between right, who we are and what we do. Rabbi Orlewick's definition of a perfectionist is one who has trouble distinguishing between who he is and what he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's a deep one. You have to spend a while on that. Um, and it's powerful because both of these are critical. It's not that you could have one without the other. I mean, it's lovely to say that a person is perfectly pure and wonderful. You know, you see people like this all the time. I love peace. I love all people. I love whatever. But they really have no tolerance for other people. Generally, the more somebody says that, because they're so focused on the spiritual spiritualistic idea that everyone is so wonderful, but they're not at all focused on the actual challenges of getting along with people, how you actually do that in practice. And then there are people who judge everybody only by what they do. Right? So now it's like, well, you weren't nice to me, you're a bad person. Like, I don't like what you did, and now somehow I don't like everything all over the place. Like... You, you don't write off a whole person just because of some of the things they did that were wrong. Mm -hmm. So there's doing and there's being. And we, I, I think in the course of learning about tzitzis and Pesach, I think we're going to transition a little because in the last year we spent a lot of time in Parsha and, in, and also in Davening Shir talking about the importance of the Elokaina Shama Shenosata Bitehorahi because that confidence in it is really the foundation first. You have to have that first. And then on top of that, you can build confidence in your mitzvos. But the unchanging one is really the doing, is really the being, sorry. Okay. He says, the what we are, the being, the Elokaina Shama Shenosata Bi, that is part of the dream world of the night. That is part of the avoda of the night. That's part of the existence of the night. It is the what we are rather than what we do that renders the Egyptians impotent and leaves us immune from their power in that night. Well, definitely for Daniel, that was what you know, kept the lion. Right. There was nothing he was doing that was keeping right. them away. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In the daytime, it's about 
actions and facts on the ground and where are you holding or not. So if you are within the boundaries of Mitzrayim, you're not free till you've walked out. So the walking out is the geula of the day, the yitziah, because you're not free. <laughs> they woke up the next morning. I don't know if they really went to sleep on the night like that, right? <laughs> but by the next morning, they, all of a sudden, they look at it, you know, overnight, we felt like we were free, and now we don't feel like we're free. Mm-hmm. Because in the night, you don't have such a view of what is actually happening, but that also makes the possibilities infinite. The power of the being is much greater. Okay. Now I'm going to come back. What I did here, this, like I showed you, I have this table, which I didn't type up or anything, but I made two columns. We have the night column and we have the day column. And I took the examples that he gives and I plugged them in down the columns. I did a few of our own, that mostly things that we talked about in the past, to watch how that plays out. So the night column has Purim, the day column has Pesach. The night column has Hester Panim. The day column has Gilui Kvodo, revelation of God. The night column has pain and suffering. And the day column has relief and redemption. The night column is where we build up our strength. Right? That's based on Rav Hirsch, on the differences between day and night. And the day column is where we do and accomplish. We use the strength that we have built up overnight. You notice how, especially if we're talking about night going to day, the night is the lead up to the day. That changes, by the way, in the Imos HaMashiach and the area of the Beis HaMikdash itself. The day comes before the night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but in the, in, in the world that we are familiar with, the night comes before the day. This is what you build on in order. It's an awesome thing, but this is going to leap beyond anything. Just, just the idea of night in the Mashiach time is it, the Messianic time is, is puzzling. What would be night? Right. So the, it means that the definition of night then changes. Yeah. The whole purpose of night then becomes something that uh, somehow benefits from the process of day, which is the opposite. I think it's. Right. An, it's huge amount of the day that is so potent that it becomes night as opposed to the absence of what is in the day. Except I would almost think it goes the other way if you're saying it's the opposite, right? Because, Mommy, take a deep breath. So... Well, I mean, the way Rav Hirsch puts it is it's the opposite approach. One is it's, it's similar to the idea of the windows of the Beis HaMikdash being inverted. Mm-hmm. Is the light coming out or is the light coming in, right? So this idea that the Beis HaMikdash itself illuminates that which is out of it is the same idea that the day is illuminating the night after it. Whereas the world we live in through all of Olam Hazeh is a world where the night is what prepares you for the day. So it's, it is in a, a complete switchover. Okay, so the nighttime, you, you, let me call. No, it's fine, it's fine. I'm actually happy to do it. I've well, missed it. Marta? She doesn't have mucus in here to get. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather, obviously, if she could skip out of the show.
see you soon. I'll try and shout louder. Thank you, Martha. Okay, so in the process of night, this is now using Rabbi Eisman's example, is focus on who we are. The focus in the night is who am I really? The focus in the day is doing mitzvot, achieving what am I supposed to do? That's fueled by the energy of who am I? Right? Meaning on the basis of learning who I am and what my role is and what my job is, but I'm not actually doing it. That's the avoda of night. The avoda of day is what am I supposed to do? The avoda of night is associated with our roots in who I am. In other words, neshama, shame, ratzon Hashem, and Torah. Those are all at that level of that which comes from atzilus, right? That, this is why also it builds on what we learned with Purim and Esther and the avoda where she had to be willing to drop everything. That's, <laughs> that's this world, right? And only focus on who am I and what am I and what is God, you know, my relationship with God. Whereas the avoda of the day is mitzvos, hishtavos. It's the gilui kavod, right? When we say that God is hidden in the night. Sorry? Oh, yeah, you can have as many as you want. There's some more. <laughs> the, the revelation is in the daytime, the revelation of Shekhinah. And yet we know that when we divide, if we say there's Torah and there's mitzvos, mitzvos, the way the Maharal puts it and many others, mitzvos are mankind's avoda of revealing Hashem into Olam Hazeh. That is what our role in mitzvos is. We are actually creating a Gilu Shekhinah. Okay, we have a pasuk, lahagid baboker chastecha, to tell of God's chesed by day, the emunascha balelos, and faith in God by night. Now that has two parts to it. One is emunascha balelos, you have to trust and have faith in it because you can't see it because it's dark. And by day, you can talk about, in the light of day, you can see what all the chesed was. Now going back to the example I gave about helping someone through an obstacle, by night, when, the, when you've been redeemed in a way that you don't see Hashem's hand as being that which redeemed you, you just have to believe Hashem has done chesed with you. It doesn't feel like it. You were stuck. You worked hard. It seemed like you would never get out. You asked for help. You asked for clarity, and all you got was, like, directional concepts, interesting ideas, like, but you didn't get anything specific. Then you finally got through. You have to just trust Hashem was helping you. That's a munas chabalelos. I could tell you exactly, Haggadah, right? I can give you a detailed breakdown of all the chesed Hashem did. That's what we do in the Haggadah. We can look back on Yitzhak Mitzrayim and say, oh, here's look at all the chesed Hashem was doing for us all this time because it's by light of day. It also means emuna balelos is associated with the fact that we're not working at night. At night is not when we're accomplishing and achieving. At night is when we have to be able to turn off and go to sleep and let God run the world. That's also a munas chabalelos. And the hagi baboker chazdecha is the action of revealing, you know, here's God's, here's God's presence in the world. Here's the mitzvot. I'm doing the mitzvot, he said. Okay? Geula at night, yetzia by day. The night process is felt and seen inside our minds. The day process can be seen on the outside. One is internally visible. One is externally visible. The night process is also quicker. Yeshua Hashem Keherifayin, it's, it's, it can be in an instant from being trapped to seeing there's a way out. The day process can take much longer. 
There is a lag between the freedom of the night and the freedom of the day. And in that space, between the freedom of the night and the freedom of the day, it's possible to despair. You can feel free at night, but then it's taking so long to actualize, you start to doubt it will ever happen. That goes back to what we said about put it in the ears of Yehoshua. I did talk about that, right? But you know, No, maybe I didn't talk about that here. We'll get to that one of these days. It's a very interesting topic <laughs> about, about despair and the different things that can cause despair. But a big part of that is, you know, you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it doesn't happen, right? That's, that's the coming of Mashiach. I believe Mashiach is coming, and even though it's taking a really long time, I'll wait till he gets here. And we saw that pattern in the beginning of Shmos and Va'era, where Rashi kept pointing out, the Avos, God's word was enough. That's reality. It didn't matter that it hadn't fully evolved in the material world. They knew it was real because God said it, just like everything in this world is created by God's word. So that was enough. And we have this effort and this avoda of, of believing in Hashem's word as being true, even during the gap between Moshe showing up and then Paro makes it worse. Right? You remember that one, right? Okay. This and is the space... Oh, well. coming back. <laughs> right. There's this gap. He's supposed to be back at 6 o'clock and now it's 7. Right? Okay. This is the gap between Ra and Tov, which Rav Hirsch has taught us. Tov and Ra, that's Hine Tov Me'od. Vayar Elokimes kol asher also v'hine Tov Me'od. God saw everything he had done. Kol yemei chayecha. Yeah, yemei chayecha hayamim, kol yemei chayecha halelos, yemei chayecha olam hazeh, kol yemei chayecha lahavilim osam shech. We see that that kol, according to Rav Hirsch, is the combination of tov and ra. What's the combination of tov? Why is that kol? Why is that tov me'od? It's a better, deeper, richer chesed. We know there's an idea of chesed, Hashem doing for us. We know there's an idea of gvura of experiencing what Hashem gives us as being restricted and held back. But there's a stage at which, for us it happened at Kriyas Yamsuf, we could look back and realize that the gevura, the holding back of the chesed, was the shaping of the chesed. It was what directed the chesed to us. If the chesed had just been all over the place, we wouldn't have gotten as much. The Gvura itself, this is an idea from Ramchal. I would never make up such a thing. <laughs> I would never make up such a thing, I hope. Right? This is Ramchal. Ramchal talks about, he says it like going into areas, I don't know, klipa and whatever, but like the, this idea of whatever is called klipa, shell, right? He says that's actually a pure creation that became contaminated, but it has a purpose. When we say that the world, right, Hashem is infinite, and he created a finite world. It's gvura that's able to hold in. That's olam chesed yibane. The reason the world is built with chesed is because there is a gvura constraining it. If you don't have the gvura to constrain the chesed, the chesed doesn't exist or doesn't get delivered altogether. Which means you can experience what Hashem does for you as chesed, as sweetness, as wonderful bracha. You can experience what Hashem does for you as gvura and din and pain. But really we know Hashem okay, no Hashem echad. We can get to moments when we can look back and realize that the gevura was the greater chesed, kind of referring back to the mashal I gave with someone behind the barrier. When we can look back at the night 
from the perspective of the day and realize the day is brighter because there was a night before. That's cool. That's all. Okay, we're going to finish up and then we'll continue. We'll continue. Whatever we do with it. Okay. It seems like possibly the machlokas of Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah and the Chachamim has to do with the question of what, where does the completion come from? Is the completion the existence of the day, of the light? Or is the completion the combination and the, do you have to include the night to say that the day is complete? That seems to be something of the machlokas there. Rabbi Eisman suggests that that's why he mentions being weaker. I'm like an old man. I'm like a 70-year-old, right, instead of an 18-year-old. This idea that from the weakness, from the pain, from the place of less power, we have to be able, balelos, at night, also to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Okay, so what does this have to do with tzitzis then? Ve'asu lahem tzitzis. You could read this as, and they'll make them tzitzis. The people themselves have to be like tzitzis. So it doesn't mean people have to be like tzitzis. Speak to them. Tell them all the details. In this third paragraph, maybe you need it at night too, and you're going to make them be like tzitzis. So what does it mean be like tzitzis? And we're going to cover some of this in a little more detail as we go through. But let's say in the simple sense, tzitzis are a four-cornered garment, the four-cornered garment is connected, as the number four always is, and as corners always are, okay? This is a circumscribed area. It's a square. It's a bounded box. It's teva. It's this world. And there isn't really a way out, and that's what it is. It's the darkness. And now you're going to add tzitzis to it, tzitzis which sprout out, like a tzitz, which is a plant, tzitzis which... Um, which illuminate. An itzotz is a spark. Okay? You have something which starts inside within the boundaries and reaches outside of them. It's also Rav Hirsch's approach and seems to be maybe the Maharal's approach. Okay? It's something where you think that there are limits beyond which you cannot go, and all of a sudden, the tzitzis take you to a new plane and remind you that you can go somewhere much farther than where you can see now. And then, they will be tzitzis people. The Jewish people, speak to the Jewish people, they will be tzitzis people. A nation whose clothing, whose essence, summons them to their destiny. The tzitzis, like Yitzias Mitzrayim, and remembering it at night, addresses our being as much as our doing. The garment covers the body, the self, and the tzitzis reach beyond. In the similar way that we have Torah and mitzvos, and we have who I am and what I do. Of course, they're tied together. And this is what allows us to reach into a whole new plane and something much bigger. So we'll and then have this Yeah. Well that's an interesting yeah. <laughs> it's filling also. Yeah. yeah. Okay.